0: All right, well, let's go. We're starting a new series today, and today's really an introduction to the series. It's going to be a series on preaching. You might find it odd that I'm talking to you about preaching, but you have a big job to play when it comes to preaching. You are, you know, half of the equation, and the Bible has a lot to say about preaching and receiving preaching and the part that it plays in our daily Christian lives. Amen? Amen. So it's going to be a great series, and today is just a little bit of an intro. We'll see how far we get, but let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. In spite of the rain rain and the gloom, we know that our hearts are alive and joyful on account of all that you have done for us. We pray, Father, that as we renew our covenant with you, that we would renew our covenants with one another, and that we would participate in your communion and your fellowship in such a way that our faith might be stirred and our joy increased. We thank you, Father, for sending us all these little babies and all these new converts. We thank you, Father, for giving us the grace we need to grow and to continue to grow and to continue to reform for the rest of our lives through your word. Pray, Father, you'd be with us as we look to the means of preaching. Teach us and help us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we're in the book of Amos this morning. Real quick, overview of Amos. Judgment is coming on the nations of the world. And because it's a thing I'm constantly trying to persuade people of, notice in the book of Amos chapters 1 and 2 that God holds the nations accountable to obey his law. Not a vague natural law. Not their own Buddhist or Hindu law. His law. His law as revealed in the Old Testament to the Jews pertaining to civil law rules is applied to the non-Jewish nations all around Israel and because they're not obeying his civil laws in the Old Testament they are being judged. Do you all see the relevance of that and why I always point this out any chance I get? Because our government should be under God's laws as revealed in the Bible. This is basic reformed Christianity. Basic reformed Christianity, the motto being no king but Christ means he's the king over the kings, and the kings aren't laws unto themselves. Even our constitution is not a law unto itself. It must be held accountable, and it must submit to Jesus's laws. Amen? And you'll never have a blessed or a happy society that doesn't believe that. It just won't happen. So that's Amos 1 and 2. Then in Amos 3 through 6, it's prophecies of judgment on God's people, on the Israelites. And all those in covenant with God. And then in Amos chapter 7 through 9, it's visions of coming judgment. And if you ever want some head-scratching Bible reading, read Amos 7 through 9. There are some bizarre visions in that book. Women coming out of fruit baskets and just strange stuff, right? Um, And then in Amos chapter 9 is the promise of restoration for God's people After judgment during the reign of Christ. So, you have some of the best messianic prophecies in Amos chapter 9 of how he was going to restore his people and not continue to have to doom them uh, over and over again. So, but we're in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. It's right at the crescendo of the judgments. That's what I'm trying to say. It's judgment on the nations, judgment on the people of God. And as he is crescendoing with all of his judgment and rebuke and and condemning prophecies, he says this in chapter 8 verse 11. He says, "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord. This is Amos preaching, preaching the word of the Lord, "When I will send a famine on the land." Famine is a mark of judgment, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but a hearing famine. You'll see that? But of hearing the words of the Lord, a famine of hearing. They shall wander from sea to sea. Wandering, of course, connotes lack of direction, lack of purpose, lack of sight, They shall wander like the Israelites in the wilderness from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Notice that the famine is a famine of hearing. Notice that the people are running around looking for the word of the Lord, supposedly, but they will never find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. So the the kids, the next generation in particular, will die from the thirst of God's word. You know, we can identify with this, can't we? I sure hope you recognize that our nation is in like manner under this judgment. And this is a crescendoing judgment. It's one of the, the last judgments that fall upon a civilization because at the end of the day what's your only last hope to repent and believe if you could repent and believe in the gospel and hold fast once again to God's laws you could turn things around but when the word is taken away when there's a famine of the word then that's that you understand what I mean when the lights finally go go out that's that you refuse to see you refuse to hear then you grow blind then you grow deaf, and that's that. There's no more hope for restoration. And, and this, is, this is, I definitely believe, um, something we're facing in our, own, in our own nation. A famine of the hearing of the Word of God. People are no longer able, actually I should say people no longer want to hear God's voice, and they have become increasingly unable to hear God's voice. We see this in just illiteracy rates. A large percentage of the adult population is functionally illiterate. That doesn't mean they can't read street signs. It's not that bad yet, though it's becoming that bad. But a large percentage of the population cannot read and understand Bible verses. And, and though a pastor explicitly tries to point out the words, they cannot hear it, and they will not hear it. That's happening more and more and more. Uh, I oftentimes find and I know faithful pastors around the country, they spend a large amount of their time just explaining and restating what the words just said, because people are so incapable of reading. They, they don't have good vocabularies. Um, they don't understand how words connect with other words, grammar. Um, they don't understand how to read. They don't understand language. It's, it's bad, but it's not just a matter of the inability to read. It's a spiritual famine. They lack spiritual ears, right? Right? They, they hate God's voice, and they hate his word. You know, what, what is God in our country today? What is the true God of our country? <clears throat> the self, that's right. The rise of the self. The autonomous self. What does autonomous mean? So what is auto? Autos, self, and namas, law. Self, law, autonomy. When you, when you believe that man is God, of course, if you reject true God, the only other option you have is man, either individual man or collective man, usually taking the form of the state, uh, becomes God. So whether it's individual man or collective man as God, and when you reject God, you go to man rule, autonomous, self-law, self-rule. And so because our nation is filled with people who believe in self-rule, um, is it any wonder they don't want to hear God's law or God's bible? God is a threat to their autonomy. God is a threat to their religion. Even in churches, really, I promise you, even in our church I've faced significant blowback from teaching the laws of God. I mean, I have had people furious with me for preaching laws and calling people to obey. It comes across inappropriate for a lot of people, doesn't it? It makes them feel uneasy that we would say obey the laws, obey the laws, when that is just basic Christianity. How many churches in America or in Acadiana could you get away with going through the laws of God point by point, explicitly calling people to do them? You would be run out on the first train, I promise you. Because it's a threat to self-rule. It's a threat to autonomy. I mean, how many Christians consider the hierarchies in their life before they make decisions? How many phone calls have I received over the year? Pastor Brandon, I just want to let you know we're leaving the church. All righty then. Would you like to include anyone in this decision? No, our mind's made up. Okay. Well, I hope your children don't treat you that way. right? You see, it's self-rule. We are deluded into thinking that we have the wisdom and we have the knowledge and that we have not been placed in structures, in covenantal structures like families, churches, and in the state. We have been placed under these things. And in families, thank God, we have some Christian families with Christian parents, right? And thank God we at least have some Christian churches left. Unfortunately, our civil authorities are are pagan and godless, but that's a judgment on us. That's, that's a judgment on us. But people in America do not think of uh, theos namas, God's law. They think of autos namas, self law, man's law. It is the air we breathe. It is just the way things are. It is our default religion, autonomy. Autonomy. And so it's not any coincidence that we don't want the voice of God in our life. You know personally for years um, people have intentionally tried to control what I preach and when I preach it and how I preach and it's hard to explain to people that's not how it works. Right? And the preaching of the Word of God, when it is faithful to the scriptures, is the very voice of God to his people and a means of grace to stir their faith and to lead them. It's hard to it's hard to believe something like that, but God does not send you angels, he does not send you, you know, perfect people, sends you donkeys. He sends you preachers. And that is the means through which he speaks. The preaching of the Word of God. You say, that cannot be. See, this is why we need a class on preaching so you can understand the theology of preaching and what it means in your life. For a child, whom does he send to a child? How does God speak to a child? Through the parents and through the church leadership, the pastors, you know. The commission to the church is baptize them and disciple them. So, you know, it's the parents alongside of the pastors, Right. Um, but we have, to, we have lost that concept. We believe it's us and our own personal Jesus um, by ourselves. He speaks to us directly through whatever means. We read our Bible, and we figure it out, and that's that. We are in radically individualistic, and it is, it is poisonous. And um, that's a little bit of what I want to get into with this particular um, series. Our motto is none of the Bible for none of life. That's the growing attitude in in many, many Christian circles. I I think most Christian circles is probably something along the lines of some of the Bible for some of life. Um, But when you reject large swaths of the Scripture and you close your ears to them, what is God going to do? Is he going to sit back and take that? No, you're going to come under judgment, and it will be just a matter of time before it's none of the Bible for none of life. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have Bible doesn't mean you won't have Bible preaching or preaching with Bibles open. It's just that the traditions of men will replace the laws of God and the customs and the sacraments will replace the gospel. And you'll think that it's Christianity. That's what will happen. And that's already happened. All right, let's move on. We'll talk about more of that in a little bit. Amos 2.11, God says, And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. That's a special class of of prophet. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? I raise them up, declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine. That was one of their special um, vows. They couldn't eat raisins, grapes, drink wine, cut their hair. They were a special class of person, and they were designated as special through various signs in the real world. And then also he commanded the prophets saying, or they commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. I sent prophets, you say, you shall not. You see the extent to which the people do not want to hear. right? So <clears throat> one of the marks of famine is that the few faithful are silenced. right? And one of the marks of, the fa- of, of a famine is that the faithful pastors and preachers are stumbling blocks to the world. Y'all know what a stumbling block is? What is What is a stumbling block? It gets in your way. A hindrance. God, it seems to me, the more I study the Bible, always provides a stumbling block, a test for your faith. And so he sends someone like Amos. Now, if you know anything about Amos, Amos is a hick. He's a nobody. He's a shepherd, that's not like a high class career back then. It wasn't, he wasn't like a, a hipster shepherd, you know, with a hobby farm, right? <laughs> this is a low class person showing up to the urban elites, right? At the fine uh, dining facilities and the, and the robes and the money and all the power. And he has got a hick accent and he is letting them have it. That's who God sends people in a famine. He sends them donkeys. It's, he sends them stumbling blocks so that hearing they won't hear. That's exactly what Jesus did when he preached. He preached in parables so that when, because they were hard-hearted so that hearing they wouldn't hear. I mean, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because, in part, he has to sit under the preaching of an Amos. You know... And God doesn't often send the rich and powerful and the polished faithful preachers so that you don't have that stumbling block. No, he sends you people that, uh, that upset you. He sends you people that hurt your reputation. He sends you people that you might be embarrassed to be with in public. That is what happens. It is a stumbling block. We talked about that on a Wednesday night with Jacob trying to convince his wives to go to the promised land with him. And how the angel gave him the, the mission of the colored sticks. And I mean, how are you going to convince your wife when you tell him a story like that? Right? <laughs> Wait, what? You had to put colored sticks in the ground and then the sheep started having stripes. And you're trying to say God's on our side now? <laughs> tell the angel to come back and talk to me. I think that's great. No, God always, he sins. Not many are wise. Why does he choose the lame and the foolish things of this world? to shame the wise. And he does so through stumbling blocks so that the very truth is in their face and they can't receive it because it would be an embarrassment to them. Right? He does that. That's just one of the marks and that's what Amos is. Amos is a faithful prophet, but he's a nobody. He's a shepherd. He's not polished and he is immediately rejected by the, the elite, the urban elite and the sophistocrats. Right? Um, Now this doesn't mean in a famine of the word that there isn't preaching There's still going to be tons of preaching There's going to be cowardly preaching and greedy preachers, right? Greedy preachers usually show their greed by being diplomatic Especially to people who pay the bills And uh, as soon as the people who pay the bills want a little seat on the board They get a little seat on the board The pastor minds his own manners He's very careful about it, and the paychecks get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what a greedy pastor does. He he remains, diplomacy is his number one um, job. Cowardly pastors, you know, are very similar. They live by the fear of man. You're going to have plenty of those in a famine of the word. You're going to have plenty of eloquent preachers. But you think Amos is, you know, eloquent with great rhetorical abilities? That's not the kind of people that God often chooses and you're going to have plenty who will add to the bible and take away from the bible in order to fit it with the society's norms and tradition but in a famine what you lack is honestly if I could shoot you straight reformed preachers that's what you lo- in a famine you lose all the sola scriptura by the power of the holy spirit reformed preachers and, you, and in a famine of the word, you can run all over the city and all over town just trying to find some, and it would be very, very few and far between. Sound familiar? In short, a famine removes the reform preachers. And if you don't understand what I mean by that, I'd be glad to explain it at some other time. But it's the sola scriptura preachers. Not the scripture plus tradition, not the scripture plus experience, not the scripture plus systematic theology, not the scripture plus anything, the scripture alone as the ultimate source of authority, not the scripture plus the deacons' wives, not the scripture plus the trustee board, but the scriptures as the ultimate authority. Um, That's what it means to be reformed at the end of the day. Not scripture plus human reasoning or rational thinking or philosophy, scripture, scripture alone ultimate authority. And it means not only do we are the scriptures our ultimate source of authority, we must follow all of the scriptures. All of the scriptures for all of life. That's the basic, that's basically what it means to be a reformed person and to be a reformed preacher. That's who is, um, who is sent packing in times of famine. Someone like Ezra, who the Bible says, read the word of God and gave them the sense. All right, y'all know that passage? Or like Timothy, who was heralded the word of God in season and out of season. Y'all know that passage as well. So a famine of the word, as happened in Amos' day, and I I do believe it's happened in our day as well, is the most disastrous judgment that God can place on a people. It is the one judgment that leads to all others, to total social decay. No more law, no more knowledge of how to live, no more calls to repent, no more gospel, but with tons and tons of preaching and with Bibles wide open and in Bibles in every home. That happens. Now, it doesn't mean when you you get rid of God's gospel, it doesn't mean there won't be gospels. There will still be a gospel. It'll be uh, the self-esteem gospel or the prosperity gospel or the Jesus wants you therapeutically whole gospel or the you know, the ever increasingly irrelevant gospel that is being preached in a lot of churches. That has very little to do with life. It's some of life, a very small shrinking portion of life. He will heal your insides therapeutically is about what we've got to at this point. Um, there will still be gospels though, and there will still be laws. Traditions will replace laws. That's right. He will, they will, traditions will take away, traditions will add. And sacraments will take the place of Um, by grace, through faith, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what what do I mean when I say sacraments take the place? Are sacraments important? Yes, we have two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The reason they're called sacraments is because God uses them to stir your faith. They are a means of grace. Not that grace flows through the water or through the wine, but grace flows through your faith that is stirred as you observe these things. Did I understand? Did I say that too fast? I'll say it again later, but sacraments are called sacraments because they are a means of grace. That's just basic Christianity. And um, God uses them to stir your faith because they are like word pictures. Um, You will note when a sacrament begins to take the place of the gospel is when the sacraments are increasingly um, done without the preaching of God's word. So God's word will go away. But the ritual will remain, which is why I believe it's very important before each baptism, before the Lord's Supper, before these things that it is clarified and the word of God is preached alongside of it, right? But you will see in the sacramentalism is that the, the act itself becomes the means through which grace is given, like grace flows through the water or through the magic, magic bread, right? That's sacramentalism. Um, and that's what happens when you are in a famine of word. But don't think that if a person is outside of the Roman tradition, that they won't do the exact same thing. They will create a different set of sacraments. And if you think long and hard, you know what it is. Protestant church, evangelical church, the gospel is relegated to basically Jesus will heal your insides. The law is is gone away with. Where is the sacramentalism going to come in? It's already there. And if you think, you can figure it out. We have a big service. The law is barely preached, right? It's the traditions of men are replaced. Psycho, pop psychology and therapeutic teaching and leadership guru principles replace the gospel. And then at the end of the service, there is a ritual. It is a repeated ritual. Let's, let's bow our heads. You will raise your hand. You will walk down this aisle. You will come to The altar. The altar. In a church, the altar? How are you going to have an altar in a church? The last altar was Calvary. We don't have altars at the front of our church, and then you will come to the altar, and then you will activate your autonomous will. You will decide. You will make a decision. You will choose. And it is in that activation of your will that you will receive grace for whatever you needed grace for, whatever you decided you needed it for. And kids do this stuff every week. You see, the next generation is, is really, really becoming sacramental about it if they don't leave the church altogether. They, every week, they're like, I don't feel like a Christian. And so they, what do they do? They go through it again, and now they feel like a Christian. The next week, they do it again. Do you see? It is the Mass. That's what's happening. They are, they are repeating this sacrament. Um, and where in the Bible is any of this? Where in the Bible is that taking place in a worship service? Never. It's added to, all right? And it takes away the true gospel, most certainly taking away the sovereignty of God in salvation because you remember man's sovereignty is supreme and it's replacing it with a new sacramental religion. It's not gonna look just like Rome. You know, that's from the, the it's not gonna look like the Baroque era. It's gonna look more like Miley Cyrus. It's gonna look more, is she popular still? Um, it's going to look more like a pop. It's going to be a pop sacra- sacramentalism. There's going to, it's not going to be glorious robes and gold. It's going to be glorious um, women with blonde hair and beautiful flowing clothes with soft, smooth voices and lights. It's the same. That's what's happening. It's Taylor's. It's tay Yeah. <clears throat> now... What do we need to do in this hour? It only does us so good to point out the the degradation of the American church. That doesn't it does us some good. At least maybe we'll be inoculated to to following it. But what do we need to do in this hour? Um, it's in Amos chapter seven fifteen. This is what we need. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "Go prophesy to my people Israel." What we need are men to be raised up like Amos. That's what we need. That should be one of the primary, and it is one of the primary goals of Christ's church is to raise up um, faithful, reformed, strong, courageous men who will preach the word of God, not adding to it, not taking away from it without the fear of man. That's what we need more than anything. And if I could do anything with my life, it's to make a little space for those guys, right? And, If I have to, whatever battles I have to face or whatever slanders I have to go through, it's to make space for those guys. That's what we have to have. And and God, by God's grace, has given me the, the ability to do this. And I'm not, no one's able to crucify me, right? No one's able to do that. God protects me from these things. And so we need to raise up young men like that. But notice you can see that it's God who has to call them. You can't there's no factory where we build these people, right? God has to call them. And we as a church have to be on the lookout for these sorts of amoses. They might come right out of the field, right from the flock, smelling like sheep poop, right? And we got to be able to see through the stumbling blocks to see whom the Lord would call for Acadiana. See what I mean? It's unlikely that He would send us powerful, wise, wealthy, Go-getters type. It's it's unlikely that that would be what he would do. It'd be more likely that he'd send us um, stumbling block types. But hopefully, we have the eyes of faith and we can see what the Lord is doing with someone like that. So that's what we need to be about. We need to be praying that God would raise these people up. But also note here that the call on this on this young man Amos, or I don't know how old he is at the time, but the call on him is to go and preach to people who don't want to listen. All right, no thanks. <laughs> That's probably the hardest thing in the world. Go and preach to these people who are going to hate you. Now you understand he's not going to the to Bourbon Street. He's not going to um, you know the Muslim uh, temple. He's going to church. That's where he's going. He's going to Israel, he's going in the synagogues, he's going to the temple, he's going to the Christians, to the established religion of the day, and he is a uh, Amos stinky sheep herder, and he has to preach God's word, and the church doesn't want to hear it. How big do you think Amos' congregation is? Not big, right? Probably a bunch of hick's. You know, so, you know, oftentimes we lament the fact that we can't have a big and successful, you know, church that has an impact on, on Acadiana. Well, you know, we're, I think we're doing pretty good for ourselves. I think God is grace, gracing us quite a bit. But hey, when the, when the situation that we've been given is the way it is, a famine of the hearing of the word of God, and everyone hates real preachers, I mean, just be glad we're not all being uh, burned at the stake, right? But the the preaching, we are in a famine. God's word is certainly not popular, but we need men called by God, not called for the money, not called for the prestige. There's not much of it if you preach God's law and God's word, Um, but men who will be bold and courageous. We need basically reformed preachers filled with the Holy Spirit who believe in sola scriptura. And we need to pray that God would raise these sorts of people up for the future. All right. um, let's move on, uh, chapter seven, verse 10. You'll see that part of, the, part of what it means to be in a famine of the word is to be at odds with the, the established narratives of the day against the, the state and against the church. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. So does everyone see what's happening here? This is the religious establishment in cahoots with the political establishment to do what? Persecute God's word, Amos. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Amos didn't say that. God said that, but yeah. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go. Flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. So get out of here. You Go, go preach to the hicks. But don't, don't preach around this, uh, this noble sacred establishment. This is a mark of famine, is that faithful preachers and faithful Christians are persecuted by the church and the state. Uh, if you want to read about that, it's in the book of Revelation. It's the beast from the sea and the beast from the land always team up together, or the harlot and the um, beast. The harlot rides upon the beast and together they persecute the church. That's an image in the book of Revelation to show how the apostate Israel teamed up with Rome to kill Jesus and to persecute all the the saints. That's just something that happens not only in the life of Jesus, but it happens to faithful Christians anytime a society is in apostasy and rebellion against God. If faithful preachers like Amos were to preach, the state would persecute them and the church would applaud it. That's already happened. In America, and it will continue to increase, and it will continue to happen. I don't see, um, as far as what I understand about the Scripture and how judgment works, I don't see uh, any other direction but that one. I don't know how long it lasts for. I don't know if God will send us a Josiah right at the last second to turn things around, at least for a little while, but this is, this is the direction. So these young men that we need, men like Amos, they're going to have to uh, um, face marginalization from the religious establishment and the state. They're not going to get ordained by the bigwigs. They're going to be talked about and blacklisted, and they're not going to be able to have high office, or, or they're not going to be noble. They're not going to be honored by society. They're going to be sheep farming, um, faithful, courageous preachers. That's, that's the, that, I do believe, is um, the only possibility for us in the future. Um. <clears throat> i got a lot more to say, but we'll save it. Why do y'all think preaching matters, though? Just one last question. I mean, is it really all that? Is it really something that makes a, a, a huge difference? I look at Amos chapter 1, verse 2. Right at the beginning of Amos, he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The Lord is roaring and he is uttering. And in the book of Amos, how is he doing it? Through the preaching of a shepherd, through Amos. Right? Um, the Bible says that the word of God is like a hammer that breaks rocks. Whatever you think is stable and secure and timeless, like a rock, the word of God shatters it. But how does the word of God come to a civilization, to a society? It comes through Amos-type people. It is very powerful. It, 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 it is the voice of God roaring, okay, to use his metaphor. And we'll talk more about this concept later. But let me just ask you this as we close. Um, if it is the voice of God speaking, what is it likely to do? It may change hearts. It's going to affect hearts, though, isn't it? It's going to penetrate to the heart it's going to reveal the heart even if amos doesn't know it it's going to go in and it's going to reveal it's going to expose it's going to change but does it always change for the better sometimes it changes for the worse sometimes it hardens sometimes it judges doesn't it sometimes it illuminates but it always gets to the heart you know how is that people get burned at the stake throughout church history just for talking. Because when the word of God comes into people's hearts, very often they are saved. But it's also sometimes they get highly offended and they attack back. That's going to happen. The word of God does not return void, but always accomplishes that which it is set out to accomplish. And, um, That's why Amos is persecuted, honestly, because the word of God is penetrating the hearts of the religious and political establishment, and they are backlashing against him, and they're trying to kill him. Of course, it's not Amos that they want to kill. It's God. It's God's voice. It's the rule of God, because they believe themselves to be God. Right? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you once again for this Lord's Day, and thank you for being with us as we discuss Um, preaching and how you use it in the life of your people and in society. I pray, Father, that you would um, meet us in worship this morning, that all we would do would be honorable of you, that our hearts would be stirred, that we'd be given joy and much faith. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.